Misfit Toys. Welcome to episode 656 with my return guest, Josh Peck. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. It's more like a uh, like a waiting room that doesn't suck. And speaking of waiting rooms, we had our second Patreon-only uh, online support group via Zoom. Uh, we're doing them every Sunday for people at the $20 and above Patreon donor level, and uh, we had a, what do we have, about 10 people, and uh, it was awesome. It was just as good, if not better, than the than the week before, and we call it the, uh, the waiting room, and I'm super excited to be doing it next Sunday. We do it every Sunday from uh, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern time, and it lasts about an hour, hour and a half. Everybody gets to share. It's kind of freewheeling safe, a lot of compassion, a lot of vulnerability, and um, I, I, I truly, truly love it. And um, thanks to those of you who have been uh, signing up to become monthly Patreon donors, as you know, uh, regular listeners the last couple of weeks, uh, I have been uh, putting the call out there for financial assistance as I, I had to make the painful decision to... Um, for ethical reasons, walk away from my main source of income. And uh, I preach a lot on the podcast about asking for help when we need it. And so I've been doing that. And the goal that we've kind of set is to get to 1,500 monthly Patreon subscribers. We're currently at about 680. And 1,500 is roughly uh, the number of subscribers we need to be able to just break even with the uh, with the podcast. And so that's where we're at. Super uncomfortable saying that out loud, but there you there you have it. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a woman who calls herself vegetarian. I got to assume that means that you you only eat pussy. Uh, what would you like to ask Paul? I'm not currently a victim of anything I was in the past. I'd like to keep it in the past. I don't want to bellyache about the past, but how can I fix my relationship with my family? Uh, it was suggested to me that I find a way to forgive my family or talk to them. It's been a struggle to talk to most of them. Uh, some of them I talk to once every three years, some others seven or more years. Currently choosing to talk to relatives that don't know me well. Um, and then she'll she'll expand on that a little bit later. I'm still angry that my sister sided with her boyfriend who hit me when I was in the sixth grade. I don't know. I started chatting with relatives online, though. And the things that they don't know uh, about her, she, she writes, My mother forced me into prostitution when I was an elementary school-aged kid. My adult relatives knew where I was sold but didn't help. And I was tortured in multiple ways for his entertainment. Uh, sometimes I think if I could help us just a little bit, the good deeds, love, etc., would trickle down to future generations. I'm so glad that you wrote in, and I think that the thing that stands out to me and probably a lot of people listening is take care of yourself. Your, your family sounds like a dry well that you are going to 
in hopes of finding water. And um, people that tell you that you need to forgive uh, can fuck right off. Uh, and I wouldn't even say they could take five minutes uh, to wait to go fuck off immediately. I, th- I think there should be a red siren alerting them to go fuck off. Hey, forgiveness is great. I'm a fan of forgiveness, but forgiveness cannot be forced, in my opinion. I believe that it's something that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen organically. And you feel what you feel. And essentially, somebody telling you that you need to forgive is somebody telling you you need to feel differently than you feel. That's my opinion. So take care of yourself and your recovery and find a sense of safety in your life. And those relatives, they're adults. They'll be fine. Take care of yourself. These are some loves from Mrs. Beeblebrox. That sounds like it's probably a name from uh, Harry Potter. I'm not a big Harry Potter guy, so I don't know if that's... That's just me guessing. Uh, She writes, I love that I live someplace where I can watch bright red cardinals hopping around in the snow. I love returning home and finding that my parking spot right across the street from my house is still open during Minneapolis winter parking restrictions. Oh, there's nothing like a good parking spot. I love when someone's cat photobombs a Zoom meeting and immediately turns its butt to the camera. We had that on the, at the Sunday support group. It was fantastic. And I love going to sleep and not setting an alarm to wake up. Oh. That is that is a true vacation. Thank you for those. This is from the uh, religious abuse slash trauma survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Avoiding Reality. He writes, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Both my parents and most of my extended family on both sides are part of the religion as well. Not sure how much you know about their beliefs, but they're one of those, quote, hate the sin, not the sinner, unquote, ones, or so they say, well... Thing is that being gay is apparently not a sin, not a sin. It's only a sin if you actually act upon your impulses. Nuts, right? Well, I was raised hearing that and kind of always knew I was gay, but just pushed it down my whole life until I was around 16 and the hormones were just too much. And I started exploring and going online to learn more about what being gay actually meant, as in the sex stuff. I didn't really know where anything was supposed to go since my parents were so sexually repressed. I didn't even consider. Well, fast forward one year, I was 17, working my first job and had a fuck buddy at the time. I knew I had to come out, but I also knew I would lose my whole family, friends, and life as I knew it really, and as I knew it really as soon as I did. Well, as the months passed, I was working up the courage, but really, I was just getting depressed, thinking about my impending doom. I stopped taking part in the weekly meetings, faked everything that had to do with the preaching activities, and would just question everything they said to the point that I was filled with rage at the elders and all the other young people in there that were just going along with this brainwashing that was ripping families apart. In this case, mine was devastated. My dad was just too concerned and confronted me one night at like 1 a.m., me in my undies and him with a copy of the phone bill and a bunch of calls to my friend highlighted. I was fucked and I knew it. This was it. I asked for a moment to get dressed. 
I cried so hard for a few minutes and went to my parents' room. I told them I'm gay. I don't believe in this religion and anything it has to say, especially about gay people. I saw in their eyes as they knew what was happening. It lasted a few weeks until they finally kicked me out completely, cut off all contact. I haven't heard from them in over six years, nor my older brother, by two years. I heard he's married and has a kid. I lost my childhood friends and only have a few aunts and uncles I keep in contact with from time to time. Thank you for sharing that. And sadly, that is so freaking common. I don't know why I was afraid to say fuck. And it's so... It's so fucking sad. It is just so sad. But one of the reasons I wanted to read this, other than to remind people who think, oh, yeah, yeah, we're a, you know, uh, homophobia is, you know, almost completely gone. Um, I don't know if anybody actually thinks that. But what I wanted to say is you are one brave motherfucker at 17 years old, 16 years old, however old you were, to speak your truth, knowing what was at risk, that is amazing. Amazing. Some of us live our whole lives without ever claiming our authenticity, and you did it as a teenager. I like you. That's what I'm saying. This episode is sponsored by Liquid IV. Uh, It's a product that I already had in my cabinet and was using when they approached me about advertising on the podcast. And uh, hydration's a big part of me being able to sleep. My muscles not cramping and it comes in convenient little packets. And I love that they now have a sugar-free version. And I heard about it from a friend of mine uh, I play hockey with and he started using it because he knows firefighters who fight wildfires and it's the choice that they make for hydrating you can imagine how much they need to hydrate check it out real people real flavor real hydrating now sugar free grab your liquid iv hydration multiplier sugar free in bulk nationwide at costco or get 20 percent off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code mental at checkout That's 20% off anything you order when you use promo code MENTAL at liquidiv.com. This is from the Love Survey, filled out by Trunk Full of Goodwill Donations, and they write, I love when I make my bed and my cat immediately curls up in her favorite spot. I love when I get into bed after washing the sheets. I love seeing birds from my window in my home office. I love spinning yarn and imagining getting to meet the sheep that the wool came from. That's so awesome. I love cooking and doing the dishes in the same day. I love how it feels after I finish my weekly chores. I love going to thrift stores and finding treasures. I love suddenly realizing that I'm in a good mood for no apparent reason. Oh, that last one. Is there anything better than those days when the the nice chemicals in the brain are just there. We're like, wow, I'm excited to take on the day. And then finally, this is uh, an awfulsome moment filled out <laughs> by an agender person who calls himself multitasking by having both mommy and daddy issues. You are a talent. 
They write, The day before yesterday, I was out with my girlfriend and a mutual friend of ours. We were on the train home from dinner. We live in Chicago, and we were taking the red line at about 10 p.m. We are all regular train commuters who are used to the occasionally sketchy activities of the CTA after dark. Uh, I believe uh, I'm from Chicago, and I believe CTA stands for uh, Central Transit Authority. But this time, something different happened. We were sitting and chatting and laughing like usual until the train stopped at the Monroe platform right under downtown Chicago, and the conductor went over the loudspeaker to say, are you serious right now? We looked at each other, unsure what was going on. Then people started running. The train doors were open, and there was shouting in the tunnel outside. Someone who ran through our train car said something about a guy with a gun. But the to- by the time this registered, the man with the gun was outside the car window, positioned between us and the train station exit. My girlfriend and our friend were crouching under the seats, and I was positioned so I could see through the window and get down if I needed. The feeling in my body when I heard the word gun was like a shot of ice all the way through my nervous system. I was almost relieved to see the handgun the man was carrying because the word gun and the running crowd had made me imagine mass shootings and machine guns. At least with this, he could only hit a few people if he decided to. We talked quietly to each other and to the other passengers, trying to decide if it was best to stay put and not draw attention to ourselves or to make a run for it. There was an older man across from me with a cane, and I made a note to help him if we had to run. There was a woman with her maybe six-year-old son sitting a little ways away from us. She had her arms wrapped around him so he couldn't see. A young man peeked out through the open train doors watching the man with the gun. My girlfriend was holding my arm tight from her crouch position, and our friend, who was normally not super touchy, was holding onto my other hand. Eventually, the man with the gun backed out of the station. We stayed crouched down a little longer than the train doors closed. A pair of policemen walked by the windows so casually, laughing to each other, utterly careless to how scared we all were. The train pulled away and finished the route home as if nothing had happened. The passengers who got on at the next stop had no idea. I don't think anyone actually got hurt, but I never really found out what happened either. I was shaken, of course, but there was also an intense feeling of gratitude in the aftermath. My girlfriend and my friend held my hands the whole ride home, and I was so glad that they had been there, so glad for their steadiness. And I was grateful to see the strangers around me safe. It felt like we truly noticed each other for a moment and cared about what happened to each other. Something so rare in everyday life where I pass and forget strangers every day. My consciousness might be disintegrated. Heavy weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and moral injury. I would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. Or with my Barbies. <laughs> 
the greatest source of our suffering ordinary is where all the good stuff happens is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions is very hard to heal in dark isolation i developed compassion it is in connection and community where that happens the process was nearly unbearable like i'm gonna have to kill myself we'll be right back after this (laughs) i am here with a return guest joshua m peck how are you buddy so good to see you. I remember on our last episode together, you listed me as Joshua Peck, and I thought it was like a physical intake form. If <laughs> <laughs> you were afraid I was going to give away your birth weight. And... Nobody calls me Joshua, but it is, is... my name. Yeah. I love it. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming back, man. Uh, you just started taking antidepressants. What, what led uh, to that? It's uh, it's so funny because I wanted to ask you about it off mic, and then you so um, s- threw you under the bus and yeah. said, "Let's sh- let's show everybody." It really is. It's the thing yeah. to talk about. I mean, yeah. where, where are we? Right. Um, I uh, you know it's funny, and and I talk about it in my book, which is why you're having me on, which I so mm. appreciate, and um, called "Happy People Are Annoying." But I talk about being sober, Knockwood, for the last fifteen years, mm-hmm. and how it's my tribe and it was sort of the key to me for for me to have a really to have a life Mm. and it's funny i was at a support group Mm. meeting the other day and i said you know my house that i was able to pay for that holds my wife and my kids and gives them a safe clean lovely place to live like each wall could have one of those small plaques on it that you see at like a church or any kind of institution and say like this wall was donated by a thorough four step. Right. And and this wall was donated by an immense process. Like, because my life is a direct result of recovery. And that, that being said, I had resisted taking medicine forever because, and I don't, I can only talk for myself, but my fear as a creative person, as an artist was if I'm the instrument, how is this going to restructure my instrument? Yeah. And very, very typical fear, not only for non-creative people, but especially for creative people. And I think especially for people who do comedy. Yes. Um, it's going to take away the edge. Lucidity, right? Right. And oh, so yours wasn't that it was going to take away any kind of edge. It was it was clarity of mind. It was... No, I. I it wasn't... Um, it wasn't the edge so much as speed in which you have. I mean, and as you know, because you're a great comedian, like the time in which to form, you you literally need to be ahead of the joke. Right. So you need to be mid-sentence with what the person is saying mm. as you're baking the joke. Right. And you've got maybe an eighth of an inch to slip it in, in most yeah. cases. Yeah. And because so much of comedy is surprise. Where did that come from? How did he do it so fast? It's like a magic trick. Right. And so, yeah, all those things combined. And it was so funny. I found myself last year, my life was so good. And I was working on this movie. I have a small part in, in the new Christopher Nolan movie, which was just such so a cool. honor mm-hmm. and such a culmination of so many years of like trying to be to 
be worthy of an experience like that. And my wife was pregnant with our second kid and we were getting ready to move and like just the wonderful gifts of life and sobriety. And I just remember going, I can't move my jaw. Like what? Yeah. I was like, my TMJ is so bad that my, my like mouth was like locked. So I'm going to the oral surgeon getting Botox in my masseters. Basically I was so stressed and I was so freaked out by how good my one, how good my life was, but normal stress that anyone would incur with having another kid on the way and moving and all these things happening. And you're going to do a Christopher Nolan movie. Yes. And I, but what, what it really became clear was, and you tell me if you, you deal with this, when we have these tools and we have these spiritual tools and then we have these physical tools, right? Of cold uh, ice baths and sauna and exercise and all these things that can trigger endorphins and good feelings naturally. And then meditation and prayer and then program and all these things. Throughout my life, I'd always felt like, yes, it seems as though I have this, just this disease that no matter what I do, I can't get over but I'm probably just not doing enough. Did you have that? Do people oh, have yeah. that? Oh, yeah, and then I'm not doing life right. And mm. and the fear is that I can't see it, and it's obvious, and inherently I'm dumb or lazy. It's the lazy. Like, it, for me, it was always, well, one more meeting, one mm. more, you're not running fast enough. Like, you're not going on enough runs. You're, you're taking not, too many naps. You're not meditating. Right. You always say you're going to meditate. Right. <laughs> you don't fucking meditate. Right. So I realize it's like a gigantic sort of uh, long way around me saying, so when I finally arrived, I finally got to a place where it had become clear to me that I was just, it was like a, a skipping record. And I finally became open to it. Luckily, I had a great uh, therapist who I've been seeing on and off for the last 15 years. And I told him about my mom who, you know, we're incredibly close, single mom, only child, been through everything together. And she had got on antidepressants like 10 years ago. And I lovingly had said, I wish you'd been on them my whole life. Yeah. And she said, me too. She's like, I wish I was on them my whole life too. And my therapist, which you can really tell he has a PhD with this insight, he goes, you ever think? (laughs) (laughs) Know what he's going to say next? (laughs) You might have what your mother has. And I go, yeah. And he goes, you ever think you might benefit from what your mother's taking? And I go, yeah, maybe. So... Uh, and, and what were the, uh, was it just mostly anxiety as you described? Was there, no. did, what, what, what were the, the symptoms, uh, it, you, you talked about feeling ill at ease. It, um, that's so, and I was t- talking about your great episode with, um, with, uh, Don believe, Morgan, with Don Morgan, no, or, but, or Beth Ann Patrick. Yes. Beth Ann Patrick, where she talks about like. I think what's revealing too is what people have to know is, you know, depression can can reveal itself in so many different ways. And I think yes. we're so used to seeing it in the very typical way it's portrayed where you can't get out of bed mm-hmm. or you're crying. And, and I never had any of that. It was just a re, it, it was constant triggering negative thoughts. It was like this obsessive sort of 
this just looping um, negative thought process that was really hard to get over. About yourself, about everything? Yes, both. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I don't need many excuses yes. to think about me. Future tripping, do me. Totally. Okay. And just like... And, um. My wife, who tends to always be right about everything, it's so annoying, said, uh, she's, when I asked her if, I, I basically like sought her counsel about it. And she was like, you know, you do so much and you're really, you know, and she was so lovely and she's like, you're a great dad and you work so hard, but you're, st you're starting to, um, lack grace in the way you're handling things. Like you're starting, I, I can see how white mm -hmm. your knuckles are. Like it just seems like you're holding on so tight. She's like, you're getting it done. Right. But I can see you just holding on for dear life. And, and what a great example of we have to consider the manner mm -hmm. in which we're doing things. Yes. Because a lot of times we don't take that into consideration or we don't even realize how we're coming across and we need right. the people around us to be honest with us and say the look on your face that's right it stresses me out <laughs> yes <laughs> do you did you have someone and tell me if i'm um uh, misremembering this you're misremembering it then i give up <laughs> I, <laughs> did you have someone on the pod who talked about how the, through like brain scans and whatnot and doing uh, MRIs of people's brain, people who deal with depression, that it's almost like a brain injury, right? Like, and so it's almost as though there's only so much that can be done that isn't medicine or some sort of, um, without medical in intervention, right. but it, it's a, almost a brain injury, right? Uh, I, I believe, yes, that, that it was somewhere along that. They, they said that you can scientifically see that a brain that has dealt with depression, especially childhood trauma and stuff like that, you can see in the brain physically that, right. there, that there is a difference there. I think they might have even said something about blood flow. Uh, uh, but, uh, I mean, one of the things that they also say is the brain is, uh, there's a plasticity to it and it can be rewired. Yes. But I believe, um, and I think many of people that study brains within limits, mm. and there are certain brains you can't, you're not going to be able to pray or meditate away the, the clinical depression. Yes. Uh, so yes, to, to answer your question. I think that that's incredibly revealing too. And, and I think also just the, the living in the day part of it, that there's no, it, you don't have to make some grand declaration. Nothing has to be forever necessarily. It's a case by case basis and it's your truth and it's where yes. you're at in your life. And, um, and I feel like I just love when people talk honestly and are vulnerable about it to remove hopefully what's left of any sort of stigma surrounding yeah. that stuff and, and people and on their mental health journey. What was one of your considerations about going on it, the immoral nature of big pharma? <laughs> really? Is that a big, is that a, is, it, it is for me. I'm, I've been taking meds for 20 years and I don't, I don't trust them. I don't do ads for them. Really? Um, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm talking the, you know, the Pfizer, the other, sure. and, and, and on one hand, I also feel like you, they rescued me, but despite that, they mm. also hold back information about sure. things. They're 
they are many of them are not humanitarian organizations and to me there's a big difference between them and you know maybe natural supplements not that mm-hmm. there aren't any you know folks out there in the supplement arena oh, yeah, that there's are, a lot that, of that are, chicanery yeah <laughs> yeah but for many people i think that was and is a consideration of of theirs. I worry about the long term side effects uh, yeah. that I'm sure they're not openly sharing. If there is some, and some people, uh, some listeners have emailed me and said, "Have you read that study about the long term side effects and mm. this and that?" And I, I I can't go there because right now I'm I've tried going off my meds because I don't like being on them. The idea of being on them. But when I go off them, even if I'm off them for a couple of months, the depression comes back and I feel sad and I don't want to be alive. Yeah. And, and I think it's important on a person by person basis, and it's just a personal decision to say, what are the side effects of me not being on medication? Yes. And I'm not saying medication is for everybody or it's the, 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 you know the thing that everybody should do i think it should be the the unless somebody is in acute distress i think it should be the last house on the block i think we should try all of the other things but for me i needed to visit the last house on the block yes. to to have a life worth living I, are is anyone making decisions important ones without pain being a massive <laughs> motivator or is it just us That's... damn it <laughs> it's so true man it's so true. God, it's uh, maybe we're just maybe I'm just dumb, but yeah. I, I find that I have to get so I, I had a arm. I had a pain in my mid arm in my humerus for call it nine months. And I would just work out through it. And about 30 minutes into the workout, I would get warm enough to where it wouldn't bother me anymore. So I finally went to the orthopedist because I was like, enough of this. And he goes, when did the pain start? I go, 2021 and he's like what are you doing here why did you wait i'm like because i know bit no i was yes. like because i don't know I, I just was able to grin and bear it like and it i assumed that until it was like truly debilitating you wouldn't want to see me he goes now we really have to check it out like now we have to do a bunch of things that right. i wouldn't have done had you come to me after a month and yeah, but I'm not that way. Like I'll I'll tough it out. I'll choose what's familiar and kind of crappy before the unknown of what oh, could be better. I think so many of us relate to that. Yeah. And can you file that under the unknown, the generalized anxiety about the unknown? Is that is that yeah. the doomy part of your brain or is it that I don't want to leave the house. I don't want to get up off my ass. Yes, I think that's, I, I think that's the part of my brain. Oh, I think that's the word, you know, the word spilkis, ants in the pants. Yes. I think that is the part of me that always has to stay busy and why I'm like the butt of the joke with my in-laws about I'm terrible on a vacation because I'm just trying to put some distance between me and me, right? And it's just whether it's a workout or keeping myself busy or can I take out the trash or what's on Amazon or a million other things. Mm -hmm. It's like, and we use these things that are virtuous or we think like, 
well, I, I'm, you know, I support the family. And so me uh, devolving into, uh, you know, hours of basically work, uh, work that didn't need to be done at that time. That's probably not progressing in a, in a positive manner or just silly busy work that didn't require all that attention, but I'm letting it. Cause I go, but don't you see, like, this is, I'm camouflaging it with something that's mm-hmm. worthwhile when in reality, I'm just doing it to keep me, to keep me busy from, from being in my head. Is, is, has stillness typically been something that you've struggled with? And if so, when you are still, where are the, the bees that are, that are buzzing around you? Is it in your chest? Is it in your brain? I mean, don't let me put words in your mouth, but. No, I pre- I, I can use some words in my mouth sometimes. Cause I don't, I quite, I don't quite know how to articulate it except and you could, I'd love to hear your experience. You know, the first time I, I went into a, a support group meeting, I had walked this earth for so long feeling as though I was reasonably articulate and I knew enough about mental health and yet I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite diagnose myself. I had, but my, I just had a resting dis-ease with the way in which the world worked and uh, I always say this that, and I say this in my book. I I felt as though I lacked the manual that had been given out at birth to everyone else. To which my good friend Giannis Papas, the great comedian, said, "Oh, you mean like a dad?" <laughs> right. uh, he's like, "Man, you all. You mean right. a man in your life?" And I was like, "Okay, word. Well, well said." Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I just didn't feel like I could quite subscribe to the social contract the way that everyone else could because everything hurt. And and was this even after getting sober? No, this was before. Okay, okay. But everything was very wounding. And then, of course, I went into the rooms and I I heard people tell my story, but they were talking about themselves. And they thought the way I did. And they had experiences and, and relationships and the way in which they walked through life was the way in which I did, except they were sober, they were happy, they had all the cash and prizes that came with a mm-hmm. good life. And so that was attractive to me. And when they talked about things like self-will run riot and, you know, I'm, what's the word, solipsistic? I'm deeply self-centered. I'm engrossed mm-hmm. in self and I feel as though I need to be because it's going to benefit everyone. And the more I dive into self and the more I f- you know, subscribe to this bullshit hustle culture and I'm just not doing enough and one more meeting and one more brand deal Mm -hmm. and one more podcast and one more job. It's perpetually sprinting towards the proverbial finish line that does not Not exist. exist. It just doesn't. And I can put it under the guise of I'm doing this because we have kids and they're going to want to go to college one day. And, and that, is such a personal pet peeve, and this isn't an is not an attack on you, uh, but I'll but, take it. What, but you know, <laughs> when when people are like, "Well, I'm a workaholic who doesn't even know what my kid's favorite movie is because I'm doing this for them." That's right, and it's like, really, right, really. I don't think they care. I don't think they care as much about going to Hawaii. And staying at the nicest hotel as much as your kids would rather have you around and go on a day trip to wherever. Yeah, make a fort in the backyard. Yes. You sleep, 
have a sleepover at night <laughs> yes. in a in a tent in the backyard, make s'mores. I mean, what that that's what kids want. My son loves when I, I I tell him these stories at night when I'm we're both have enough energy because it's exhausting and he mm-hmm. and all the stories all have the same structure. My son and I are together, and now his little brother is with us. We encounter some bullies. There's some sort of snowball fight, and we prevail. And he loves it. And if I really dig into the story, it can go 20 minutes. And I'm falling on his bed, and we're you know running around the room, and he's belly laughing so much so that sometimes my wife will comment about hearing it from our room. We've been to Legoland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was lovely. I don't think I've ever seen him as happy as those moments. And I and I imagine that is helping the growth of his brain. And you know, you and I talked about that that damage, whatever you want to call it, to the brain that that is formed, you know, with depression or trauma or whatever. Yes. I would imagine the blood that is flowing is through his brain when he is belly laughing is is building some healthy cells that are going to benefit him as as an adult or a teen until you fuck him up as a teen will i and then it will all it'll, it's it'll all be erased josh it will all be erased i'm doing everything i can i had to. you on because i wanted to tell you this is all for naught okay gotcha yeah, go off the meds great get back get jokes back on to you your, i'm off get, <laughs> get back get back to the white knuckling uh so what have you how long have you been on the on the meds now? Uh, about like almost a year. And when did you begin to feel a difference? And what was that like? And where are you at today? I just feel like, uh, again, I, I think I have no sort of judgment about like future tripping or I just feel glad that, that there are so many different avenues available for people. And, you know, I know that I'm very... um. I, I've made you uncomfortable in our last episode when I fawned over you, but like that's why I love this podcast. Like the power of me too, the power of being able to listen to something like this and feel seen and heard and to know that other people are, are going through the same thing that you are, like it's just rare. And I love comedy podcasts, like traditional, like, you know, whatever it is, um uh two bears, one cave or whatever. All right. And and uh, I, it'll be a wonderful sort of reprieve from my day, and yet I, I will rarely walk away from it going, like, I feel like I did something good for, for myself. I'll just mm-hmm. feel like, well, that was a fun way to spend right. an hour in traffic. But this podcast, I'll leave it going like, oh, yeah, I feel like I was, I was, at, a, I was at a meeting. And so it's very special. So what you do is very special, Paul. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Now yeah. answer my goddamn question. What? Oh, I didn't. Where I'm at. <laughs> uh, again, like, that's what I'm saying. I... um. I'm I I feel very lucky and I just feel um like I'm in in a really good place and I so, can be So the future tripping I lessened? Get, yes. Okay. And I think in the general, frequency or the intensity of it or I both. Th- I would say the intensity. Okay. And I just feel overall like I'm in a place where I can just kind of appreciate that there are just some things that all of us will have that will be that uh, haunting is such a bad word, but just like annoying sort of triggers that will get us in. It's funny. I'll tell you. Agitation. Would that be a a word to to describe? 
Yeah, or or just like I I um I just think that we all have you know it's like if it's uh, I hate these tropes, but like if it's hysterical, it's historical, right? right. There are just these things that I I venture to guess that no matter how much work we've done, if there's small little trauma like bombs that were loaded up in our head when we were kids, you they cannot be exterminated, but the volume can be turned so massively down. So yeah. today I go like, yeah, I have that. Like that's a that'll be an annoyance. I'll probably be eighty you know, maybe pulling at a part of my body that feels out of shape or, and then at that point everything will be, or, you know, I, I might get a TV show that runs 10 years and still be utterly financially insecure because it's just things that were embedded in me as a child. But I've also come to the place where I've accepted that everyone is dealing with some version of that yeah, and that the intensity and the volume of it um, can be turned way down. And so how long did it take after you started taking them? Would it take six, eight weeks for you to begin to feel a difference? No, it's instant. Really? Also because I just think like, you know what it's like, you know that feeling, there's probably like some meme where um, people talk about like the the level of relief that comes from completing a 30 second task that you've put off for two months yeah. <laughs> right and you're just like walking around the house like you're the king of the castle like it, it there was just such a feeling of like oh thank god you know thank god it's over you know it just yeah there's just something so good uh, and I, and it's every time i could freak out about uh, this is such a uh, embarrassing thing to say i could freak out about uh, uh, scheduling a massage mm-hmm. right <laughs> like the loveliest, most luxurious, most first world problem you could ever have. I could be like that at two, like at two in the afternoon. That's crazy. What am I going to shower before? Like, I'm going to have to pack a bag. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But it's like sometimes doing good things for yourself can seem utterly um, impossible. Yeah. And like a hassle, which is crazy. It's crazy. Because I think the intellectual part of our brain understands this is a beneficial thing, but there's, I don't know, some kind of brick wall about actually doing it, actually leaving the house to do it, you know, or the mean part of our brain come, comes up with these, well, you know, there might be this, there might be that. Yeah. What if there's just an awkward silence? That's uh, right. How am I going to do, am I not going to be able to make conversation, you know, on and on and on. It's yeah. just, it's endless. Do you find for yourself that, do you find just like, I guess just in a very broad general way, the trend of getting help, be it from medicine or support groups or whatever, do you find more people seeking that than ever? I do. I do. And obviously, I also see a lot of people that are afraid to get out of their stinky comfort zone and mm. try the the new thing. They They would rather kind of sit in the familiar. And I think it's really tough for people who have grown up in environments where trust was betrayed again and again and again. And to be hopeful and vulnerable is like saying, listen, I know you were in a house fire that almost killed you, but what we need you to do is go get sit really close to that fireplace. <laughs> it's going to be good for you. Yeah. It's such a great analogy. I, I, you know, it's, 
I, I and I talk about this in the book is that I don't know, like we talked about anything that doesn't come from being totally, you know, at some version of a bottom, some version of pain. And I, I would want to say, and maybe this will be the title of my next book. It's like, congratulations. It's awful. Like, congrats. I love it. Because what a beautiful place to start. It's the only place I know you can begin from is when it's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. Because that it silences that part of your brain. That's like, just, just keep doing what you're doing. Right. It'll be okay. You're faced with, no, I'm thinking about suicide 20 times a day Mm. and I'm losing friendships and I can't even wash the dishes in the sink. That, you know, that's how bad my depression was before I, I got sober. And a lot of people, it's even worse than than that they you know they can't even go out get out of bed to go to their nine to five job and they've got kids and you know etc etc but it it can be (laughs) a motivator because you're forced to decide do i want to die or do i want to do the dishes (laughs) find something to help me do the dishes and post-pandemic, has that been just, um, I would imagine the level of loneliness and how brutal that's been on people is is risen. Profound. Profound. Pro- profound. And I think a lot of people found comfort. I did originally in the um, social isolation mm. uh, of it. I also have a dog, a wonderful dog and a beautiful girlfriend. And you would work. Uh, and I would work. You got hobbies, Paul. I do. I do. <laughs> You're good in a pandemic. So I felt lucky. If you can feel lucky uh, in a in a pandemic, but I know a lot of people, um, it they really bottomed out and they really struggled uh, to find any kind of silver cloud or hope or whatever. But I also know a lot of people. It became a touchstone for them to say, "I've got a." I've got to change something mm. in my life because this this isn't working. Do you think we as like I remember as a teenager like I didn't know it but I was like romanticizing depression in some respect because like all my heroes were misunderstood artists who were mm. probably part of the 27 club or even like my my and I don't want to speak about him you know posthumously but I'm obsessed still to this day with Anthony Bourdain and Mm -hmm. I watch the first half of his doc and I go like, is this just the coolest, greatest dude? And there's like a turn 45 minutes in where like my heart starts breaking Mm -hmm. and I just want to like, I I don't know. I I just, um, I see the realities of, of what can happen for some of us and, and untreated, unrealized, um, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. I I feel like I don't want to be disrespectful, but I I just loved him. And and I feel like I, so many people are are in a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think one of the biggest myths is that if we um, get help, change things up, whether it's medication or getting sober or learning to do yoga that it's going to take away our creative spirit. And what I found is not at all. I can I can still get angry. I can still tap <laughs> into that artistic side of myself. What I found is now I have other uh, emotions to mm. express. Silliness, 
tranquility, you know, other things that were never a part of my vocabulary. So if anything, I think it can div- diversify you as somebody. I, I, I really don't know anybody um, who, once they became more comfortable with stillness, uh, was like, oh, well, that ruined me creatively. Maybe they exist. I've yet to meet someone. No, it's just like meditation. Like I, I once had a friend say, I'm worried about losing my edge. I'm like, never had someone incorporated a meditative practice and said, you know, it really extinguished the good right. things in I my mean, life. Think about David Lynch. He's one of the biggest uh, proponents of meditation. And he has a book called, I think it's The Big Fish, which is about yes. how our best epiphanies and creative ideas can come during a meditation session. And I mean, isn't he like the poster boy for, you know, creative chance taking and darkness and yeah. whatever else you want to call it? Totally. And I don't even meditate. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say it here first. I wish I did. I And the times where I've done it, I'm like, this is great. And yet I, you know, but listen. I never look forward to it and I never enjoy it, but I do it. Really? Yes. Every day? Yes. Uh, pretty much every day. Yeah. It's supposed to be 20 minutes. A lot of times it's 15. And honestly, wow. a lot of the times it's just me obsessing, <laughs> future well, sure. tripping, but my eyes are closed. But that's a dirty little secret about meditating, right? It's yes. all thinking, right? Yes. And it's like, how able are you to not attach to those thoughts? Exactly. Just to step away from me. It's I'll, I'll be able to step away in a 15 minute meditation. I'll be able to step away and clear my brain and not be my thoughts for maybe 15 seconds but i do it anyways because i it my life is working and i don't want to find out that the thing that i got rid of is now making my life not working yes so i just keep doing the things i'm doing i remember i had um who you should have on the have you had rosie perez on the pod no i'd love to she's awesome and and i i had her on on my first podcast that you were nice enough to do and she talked about so many of the challenges and and boy did she grow up with some trauma oh and i i only feel comfortable sharing it because she she was public and talked about it on my podcast but and that when she finally faced it and was um you know meeting with someone regularly and and a therapist and starting to work through these issues and then they suggest some medicine and i brought up the same thing to her were you worried when you took the medication for the time in which you were taking it that it might impede on your artistry and she said, no, it didn't get in the way of me as an artist. It it removed the things that were um, standing in between me and, and my performance and vulnerability and honesty. It like took away the static so I could access these things in an honest way instead of being so wrapped up in all these other things being thrown at me at the same time that my mind was playing games with. I love that. Yeah. Love that. Uh, let's plug your book. It's called Happy People Are Annoying. Yes. Um, uh, it's, it's doing great on the, uh, the, the reviews. Uh, Thanks. I, People I, like it. I went to, uh, I believe it was Amazon. Don't tell anybody I went to Amazon. <laughs> and, uh, I think it had like 840 reviews, an average of four and a half stars out of five. That, that that's awesome, man. It's so nice. And I, you know, I, it really, the way I describe it is sort of views from the halfway point. I feel like everyone writes a memoir when they're done. Mm-hmm. And I figured like, why not write one where you're kind of right in the thick of it? 
And so that's probably why now a year later I'm slightly embarrassed by it. <laughs> no, which really. is good. It means you're growing. The, probably right. And you're a terrible writer. Both Solid. it means both of those things. Just ask the New York Times. Just kidding. They loved it. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I, I'm very. I'm glad that there's a living document. And my friend Sean Avery, who's who's an actor and, and a former hockey player, and I know who Sean Avery yeah, is. Yeah, you're a yes. huge hockey guy. Yeah. And he's a great dude. And he said about his book, he said, I felt like I wrote the definitive, like I editorialized my life up until that point. Yeah. I spoke about it in the way that I would want to speak about it. And I felt like I could let go of that portion and move on to the next chapter. Well, that must feel good. So that's kind of nice. Dude, thank you for coming on. Let's plug your podcast too. Oh, the Good Guys podcast yeah. uh, available wherever podcasts are available, and people can find you on social media at at uh, Shua Peck on Instagram, and uh, Shua being the second half of Joshua, S H U A P E C K. Yes, at Instagram. Paul, I love what you do. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, dude. L- love having you on. Thanks. What a sweet, sweet man. Love talking to him. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Religious Abuse Survey filled out by a trans man who calls himself Frankie. Hi, Frankie. I know Frankie from our uh, support group. Great dude. Uh, In fifth grade, I remember the principal of our evangelical school came into our classroom to make an announcement. The principal was a powerful woman who stood with extreme confidence and evoked fear and attention. She stood in front of the class and began telling us the important news That was specific to our class in reference to us being, quote, bad, unquote. She had a vision from God. Her son went missing, and someone in our class buried him alive. We were all scared, in shock, and kept looking around at each other. Who? It was like a warning that God was always watching. And I believed that God could hear every thought as well. After she was done announcing... She looked at me and said she needed me to come with her to her office. I remember her telling me that I was the person in the vision who buried her son alive. And this was really bad. Her son, by the way, was a friend of mine at the school and had a big crush on me, which I politely declined regularly. I cried a lot, and this was one of the many things that brought religious shame and guilt into my life. Basically, I was broken, bad, evil, etc. She removed her son from the school after this vision to keep him away from me. I remember seeing my father walk across the gymnasium towards her office a few hours later. Did she tell him? I figured she did, and it was never talked about. Holy shit. Wow. This is from the Love Survey, and this is filled out by Wheel of Random Thoughts. And they write, I love walking outside on a perfectly still and clear early morning after it had snowed the day before. The ice and snow on the grass and trees in the morning sun is breathtaking, and the air is crisp and clean. I like how quiet it is, too, how snow muffles sound. I love the low grunting sound my dog makes when I push on her belly. I love when I get my 10-month-old to giggle uncontrollably to the point my fiancé comes in from another room to watch the hilarity. 
I love when my fiance grabs my waist and kisses me without any reason except for her love for me. I love when, after driving for hours through flat farmland, I live in central Kansas, and the Colorado mountains appear on the horizon for the first time with jaw-dropping beauty. That is an exciting moment. I've done that before. Because it's so flat for so long through Nebraska and Kansas and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere. So exciting. Thank you. Those were great. This is a shame and secret survey and this is filled out by a, a man who calls himself Panicky Man. He identifies as straight. He's in his 50s. He says that he was raised in a uh, pretty dysfunctional environment. He was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. He writes, I was sexually abused by my older brother for five years. He also tortured me by locking me in dark, confined places and tying me up and leaving me in the dark for hours. I think there was sexual abuse before that, but cannot confirm it. When I did tell my family, my dad said it never happened, but my mom believed me. After a few years of being the family outcast, things went back to, quote, normal, unquote. Looking back, it was very dysfunctional and a terrible mess. He's been physically and emotionally abused. My wife of 29 years would hit me out of anger, especially in the bedroom, while having sex. We are divorced now, and she is the one who left. I am almost a year separated in the middle of a nasty divorce. She filed a bullshit restraining order against me, saying I abused her. I am very angry at her, but still have some sort of dysfunctional attachment to her. Any positive experiences with the abusers? No, my brother is very sick and will not have anything to do with me, although I have tried very hard to reconcile with him. How sick am I for trying that for 15 plus years? Darkest thoughts. I want my ex to jump in front of a bus. I would like to hurt her, in the parentheses, but never would. I want to know what kind of a bus. We're talking public transportation. Maybe it's the tour bus of a popular band. Maybe it's the tour bus of a band you hate. Darkest Secrets. My brother shared me with his friends in the neighborhood. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Anal sex. Sharing that, I feel embarrassed. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my brother that I hate him and that I wish he was dead. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish my panic attacks would go away. I've been diagnosed with CPTSD and agoraphobia. I've been having panic attacks regularly for 35 plus years. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared most of these things with my new partner, and she's very understanding. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? that someone is recording my screen, I have trust issues. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Not at this time. Buddy, thank you for filling that out. And I mean, fuck, who wouldn't have trust issues? Who would not have trust issues after that? And I hope hope you um, can get a break from the panic attacks I've only had one in my life, and holy shit, so awful. People that get them regularly, my, my, my heart goes out to you. 
This is an email I got um, from Becky Bell, and she writes, I am Mrs. Becky Bell of Auburn, Washington, who won the $754 million Powerball jackpot on February 6, 2023. To show my appreciation to God myself, my family are donating $750,000, hence you are getting this email. Well, my first instinct is, thank you, Mrs. Becky Bell. Um, and again, any other Becky Bell outside of Auburn, Washington, this does not apply to you. This is just strictly for her. Um, I was a little taken back where you said to show my appreciation to God myself, because as some of you know, that is my legal name. And, and at first I was a little paranoid because I was like, has she seen my birth certificate? And I rarely go by that. I did. I, I did release one album under God Myself, and then I became the artist formerly known as God Myself. But the thing I really want to address here, Mrs. Becky Bell of Auburn, Washington, is you plan to give me $750,000 from a $754 million Powerball. You are so selfish. You are so, so selfish. And my only hope for you, Mrs. Becky Bell, just the Becky Bell of Auburn, Washington, not the other Becky Bells, I hope your family takes one of those gold bricks and hits you over the head with it. And you spend the rest of your life struggling to maintain your balance. Yeah. That's my gift to you, Mrs. Becky Bell of Auburn, Washington. Wobbly legs. Finally, this is from the Love Survey, and this is filled out by Inner Angry Crybaby. And I believe we've read uh, surveys from them before. And they write, I love it when my husband brings me coffee in bed. I love that moment when my dog's tail starts thumping just before he rouses himself to pad over and give me kisses. I love it when my teenage daughter asks for my help. I love lowering myself into a hot Epsom salt bath. I love waking up and not knowing what day it is and then remembering it's Saturday. Oh, that is such a good one. I love when someone trusts me enough to be authentic with me. I love it when I trust someone enough to be authentic with them. I love how my dog hugs me with her face. In the parentheses, does that make sense? She pushes her upturned face against my neck or presses her body against my chest and buries her face under my arm. I love it when I pull out a fresh towel and it doesn't smell like anything. Not sour like it got left in the wash too long, but not overly frag fragrant like detergents are these days. Just clean. I love knowing that I am on a recovery journey that will never end, and that miracle of miracles, my husband is on a similar journey, and we can share our fears and dreams freely with each other without fear of rejection, ridicule, or abandonment. That is so beautiful. And that, that to me, I mean, if you are lucky enough to find somebody that you can be truly, truly transparent with, not have to work angles and say, who do I need to, to be to 
you know, avoid a confrontation or to not be rejected. That is such, such freedom. So thank you for that. And thank you to everybody um, who participates in putting this podcast together, whether you're filling out a survey or supporting it financially or just going to iTunes, giving a good rating or subscribing to the podcast, all of those things help. And, and if you're not doing any of those things, just listening. I'm glad I'm glad that you're, you're out there. And um, just never forget that you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.